0: Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. This is season two. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, Bob Huggins. I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham is spelled M E A C H A M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, Big Meach41. And now I can officially say this on season two I am now on TikTok, at AlexMeacham41. This is a special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. Bearcat
1: fans, I'm excited to welcome in this Bearcat legend. He was recruited to play football for UC and then played one season of basketball for the Bearcats. He was inducted into the UC Athletics Hall of Fame in 2010. And of course, he is a Super Bowl champion. I'd like to welcome in my guy, number three, and also number double zero. Should have been number three as well if it wasn't for Sean Myrick. We'll jump into that. I'd like to welcome in my guy,
2: Brad
1: Jackson. What up, Hollywood?
2: Hey, how you doing, Mish? Thanks for having me. Good to catch up. And, uh, yeah, still, even now, 20-some years later, I'm still – Still a little upset at Sean that he wouldn't give me my number three, but I totally understand it. <laughs> hey,
3: hey,
1: hey, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna jump into that uh, here here in a second. Most people don't know we call you Hollywood, man. That's your that's your nickname amongst you know our, our group, man. Hollywood. It
2: was uh, it was a nickname that was given, um, even though I had been born in Canton, Ohio. We uh my we were here on the East Coast with uh, my mother when I apparently came early. I I was a preemie, so I was born early uh, when my mother was uh, out visiting. So I was actually born in Canton, but we lived in California. So I was was raised in Anaheim, California uh, most of my life. And then ultimately we ended up moving back to Akron, Ohio um, when -hmm. I was in high school And then – so coming from California, it was one of those things that once I started playing football, which occurred my sophomore year uh, in high school at uh, at Akron Firestone, um, it kind of became the nickname from my coach there, Coach Coach Bob Black, who I still uh, talk to and communicate with because I was playing soccer, and him and my other coach, Mark Fisher – Actually saw me on the soccer field playing soccer and running, and they basically came over and took me off of the soccer uh, pitch and said that you can make money doing this. And here I was, never played organized football, and so ultimately they basically were like, you know, you're skinny, you're tall, you can, you run well, you can be, can you catch? And you know, I played all sports. So, of course, and I I watched all sports, so I understood, and they tried to be like, okay, here's a slant route. And I was like, I know what it is, third step, plant outside foot. And they they were shocked at my knowledge of the game.
0: And -hmm. then, of
2: course, they just put me out there, and I started making plays. And so then some of my uh, teammates then were like, well, he's from California, so and uh, like Hollywood, when the lights come on, I'm going to put on a show. So then it it, it stuck with me all the way through – All the way through to the pros, and then once I got to the pros, my coaches here at Baltimore kind of nicknamed me Playmaker because uh, there was always, you know, every time a play needed to be made, even though I played with tremendous athletes, tremendous talent, Hall of Famers, um, Mm -hmm. you know, there were still people that underneath – we always joke, and we joked about it this past week on our Super Bowl 35 20th anniversary Zoom call that we had that, you know, a lot of times when Ray Lewis would be up dancing – you know, there would be 50 Brad Jackson at the bottom of the pile getting dirt out my face because I had taken on two blockers so he could squirrel. So um, mm. so the mm. coaches, you know, Jack Del Rio, who's yep. now with the Redskins, Marvin Lewis, obviously, who's at Arizona State and was, you know, with the Bengals for almost, what, 14, 16 years, um, have a close relationship with them, and Rex Ryan, who obviously was my defensive coordinator at the University of Cincinnati. Um, and is now, obviously, with ESPN, we all were laughing and joking about that. Somebody had to be at the bottom of the pile making plays uh, mm-hmm. so, so 52 can squirrel. So, um, yep. so that's how the nickname Hollywood started. And then uh, uh, you and Kenyon Martin, you know, obviously <laughs> the basketball court carried it over yep. uh, to to the basketball yep. team, which was always exciting.
3: You
1: know, what's funny about that is, so a couple years back, um, obviously, you you came back, Kenyon came back for the opening of the new uh, Fifth Third Arena um, and, the, you know, the new unveiling, and we were all there, and I remember Kenyon seeing you from a distance, and he was like,
3: Hollywood,
1: right away. <laughs>
2: yeah, right. <laughs> right away. Still, I mean, every time we text for the holidays, and, you know, obviously, with, with, with Ken Jr., you know, being in the NBA and and all that. You know, we all we all text about our kids' achievements. You know, my my daughter's at Georgia yeah, Tech playing about softball. That. So yeah, tell yeah so yeah, my youngest is at Georgia Tech playing softball. So looking forward to the season to start here, Lord willing, in the next couple of weeks. Um, you know that they're playing in the South. So excited about that. You know, ACC ball is always exciting. And uh, Brad Jr., who's a little older, he's already at grad school at Stanford University, so um, obviously, you know, he uh, <laughs> he didn't get my brains, but, um, <laughs> <so> he's, uh, <laughs> but he's doing extremely well in international business and policy out in Stanford, um, and then my oldest, uh, I'm still trying to get her off the payroll, Cali, um, mm-hmm. who I had when I was, you know, in college after, which is another funny story I know we'll get into, um, uh, and when I had her in 1996, obviously, I was you know going into my junior at, at the University of Cincinnati and and being a father and a student athlete and you know growing up single parent it was you know the 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 love the care um you know the mentoring of Bob Huggins uh and Rex Ryan that helped me through that time in my life as you know a 20 year old kid with, that's having a kid and not yeah. know what to do so um so, so that's how that all, you know, came about. And then, uh, so she's, she's here in ba- in Baltimore, um, supposedly is holding down a house in Baltimore, but every time I come back North, it looks like, you know, uh, <laughs> that's not the case. So, uh, house party, you know, house
1: party one and two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: So, it's you know, 24, 21 and 20. And it's like, you know, I'm just, I'm still trying to get the oldest off the payroll,
3: so yeah, uh yeah. so
2: if anybody <laughs> out there help me now I'm joking. But, uh, I've been extremely yeah. blessed. So yeah, so when 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 I talk with Ken, you know, every time we text us or we we catch up on the phone, um you know, his first thing he said, Hollywood. So um, Hollywood which is always awesome. yeah, lights come on got to put on a show.
1: <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh tell tell everyone quickly what you're doing uh business-wise. I know you have a lot of things going on.
2: Yeah, business wise I have several uh franchises uh for uh out in California, um, out in LA that uh do with a partner and a family member. Um here in Baltimore, uh co founded a extended out of warranty company almost twelve fourteen years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um didn't plan on having it that long. We hope it be bought by now, but thank the good Lord, you know, it's still profitable and uh and uh you know they ain't coming to repossess computers and stuff yet so
3: right, about right.
2: 90 employees uh you know working uh at carjax so um a couple other media ventures and then obviously uh you know NBC Sports and Comcast and Fox Sports uh you know they uh they're dumb enough to pay me to to put this pretty face on TV and so I've been fortunate <laughs> to do Raven Shows on uh, NBC and Comcast here in the Mid Atlantic, and and still be able to do college football and college basketball for uh, several. others from CBS to Fox Sports to the game NBC, uh, NBC Comcast Universal. So get to still get to live my dreams of being a wannabe good basketball player uh, by talking about it. You know, uh, doing the off season, so that's fun doing a couple college basketball games mainly for the CAA conference, you know, out here uh you know on in the Mid Atlantic. Um and so that that's always exciting and with my oldest when she was at Delaware it always made for an easy opportunity being up the road to to see her and, and be able to call some basketball games and have fun doing that as well. So um yeah. that's pretty much it. You know, full-time dad, man. That's that that's you know trying to raise the kids to do things the right way and Been extremely blessed, been extremely fortunate, and, you know, for me, it all starts with, uh, you know, the the opportunity that the University of Cincinnati gave me, so forever grateful for the many people being there, and obviously, your father uh, is, you know, one that impacted and changed my life when I was a young knucklehead, running around there with a 1.8 GPA body kicked out of school. (laughs) Uh, it, you put that
1: out there in the streets,
2: man. You yeah, put, your, put it yeah. in the streets. Hey, you got to be honest. You know, when I talk to kids That's out true. here in Baltimore and, and a lot of my charitable endeavors that I do that I just stay below the radar with because, you know, the whole purpose of doing is impacting lives, not getting, you know, clicks or retweets or clout chasing. Um, you know, you have to be real with the kids. You have to let them know that, yeah, I, I know what it was like to not grow up with my father. I know what it was like to be homeless I know what it's like to eat at shelters. I know what it was like, you know, to have a kid, you know, out of wedlock at 20 years old. You know, I know what it was like, you know, to have all these things be said about you and and you can still fight and persevere and fight through it. And, and it's taking those things and having those people, like I said, you know, having, you know, Bob Black and Mark Fisher at Acro Firestone come take me off of the soccer pitch and, and say, you can do this and believe in me and, and work, and grind, and and teach me how to, how to do things the right way, and be a team player, and, and then you get to college, and, you know, you have the Bruce Ivories, and you have your father, Mr. Bob Meacham, that, you know, pull you in the office, and tell you, you have so much potential, and you have so much out there. The world is your oyster if you get disciplined, if you stay focused, if you take your butt to class, (laughs) and so, yeah, yeah. um, and then you have your coaches, you know, the, you know, I was fortunate to have, you know, obviously we, John Harbaugh who's our head coach with the Ravens uh, was our running back coach, recruiting coordinator. You know, you had Rick Menner who was our head coach that was extremely, extremely difficult, extremely hard and fatherly figure. Like he was the, he was the rough. He wasn't in the military, but if, if that, and I don't have a military father, but I have friends who have fathers that were in the military and I, and I love and appreciate the military, but it was that type of hard, tough love that Coach Minner made you made you tough. And then on the other side, I had, you know, the uh, the Rex Ryan's, you know, who would tell you like when you screwed up and be like, you're you're so good, like I can't believe you made that mistake. Versus Mother F you, you know what I'm saying. And then you had right. Wake Martindale, who is our defensive coordinator with the Ravens, who was my linebacker coach. So you know, and I still have close relationships with them you know, as almost father figures and fathers because I didn't have one. So, you know, it's those people like your father that takes you and get your butt together, stop being a knucklehead, you know what I'm saying, take your butt to class and minus the football because here I am, you know, after a six-year career in the NFL and a couple Super Bowls, won one and was injured in Carolina you know the year uh Super Bowl 38 um so I didn't play that Super Bowl so I don't even really count that one cuz they didn't win it anyway mm-hmm. um but uh you know here you are in life which academics and learning things that were far more important and greater than uh the athletic stuff obviously so you have to be real. so it was that that 1.8 and I tried to transfer I mean that's candidly I tried to transfer you know when Coach Maynard got there, and then I never hit with Bruce Ivory and, and with your father, Mr. Meacham, and they were like, "You can't go anywhere, boy. You got to have a 2.0 to transfer." <laughs> so, yeah,
1: yeah. You couldn't even do it, that. I couldn't even transfer, <laughs> it.
2: and then it was like I'm miserable. It's you know it's winter time, and you know like you know what what was I doing? And I you know my mama was like, "You can't go home," and you know I'm just so. Mm-hmm. um you know, it was those times that even when I wasn't allowed to play basketball because Coach Minner had got a job, Coach Huggins and I had talked about it before, oh. which is one of one of the reasons why I had chosen Cincinnati. Um, you know, I, so I gonna coming gonna, out of high hold, school.
1: Hold that because I, I do I do want to navigate through some of that stuff. So so hold that for a second because I, I want to make that part. And the funny thing is, Brad, one of the things I love about interviewing you. And and nothing against you know the other former players, but I, I I do a lot of homework prior to every interview, and I try to you know make sure I have a script and you know I kind of venture off sometimes, but with you, I, I literally have three things on my sheet of paper because I know you're gonna be able to, you're gonna be able to tell me the story, gonna be able to t- I don't have to guide
2: you, you already died. right you're right.
1: That's what I love about interviewing you. Some guys, <laughs> I have to kind of guide them through. Oh, trust things, me, brother. But I know the same you,
2: thing here. It's like pulling teeth when I do my interviews with some of the players appearing with the Ravens. It's like, Lord Jesus, did did you go to school?
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> you,
1: I literally I literally have three notes of three things I just want to make sure I remember. Everything else I know we're going to. The good, free the stop bad, and the ugly. That's the
3: that, notes. The good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. <laughs> that's true.
1: Hey, before I forget, when your daughter was deciding on um, college, uh, did she did she go on the recruiting visit to Gainesville? Did you run yes, into my she, brother down there? Yes, the I camp? did run in.
2: Yeah, okay. we uh, we ended up running into tone down there when uh Ari was looking at uh, the University of Florida. Um but for her being a smart kid and and I think, you know, honestly everything isn't for everyone as we as we all know in sports and in life. Yeah. And I think it was at that time Florida, you know, Tim Walton, the coach down there for the softball program, had had me you know, made them, you know, a national powerhouse like every year it was win a national championship or fail and so yeah. um i think some of that may have been a little intimidating for her um she liked florida but it was and i love florida because of them winning but for her academics was the key so when it came down to the florida she was you know florida state actually was her first offer um, and I remember they ended up winning the national championship in her senior year in high school. And then, you know, she was like, uh, I asked her one day, I was like, do you think you made a mistake? Because she had already signed with Georgia Tech. And she was like, absolutely not. And, and that made me proud as a father because, un- unfortunately, for women's softball, yes, you have, you know, one or two little leagues out there, you know, that are continuing to grow. And I hope to continue to grow for, for the sport and for all the young ladies out there that want to play. Softball and live their dream, and hopefully one day it's big enough for people to make a living, but at this point in time, you can't make a living playing softball like you can in you know right. other four sports
3: sure. so for her, for sure.
2: it was everything for her was the best academic school with the best experience and um you know so it in Georgia Tech answered you know all those things of being in the a c c playing power five ball being at a phenomenal university academically, the number four, you know, university in America, uh, you know, so um, so it worked out perfect. It was, even though it's in the city, which he didn't want to go to school in the concrete jungle, uh, for those that haven't been there, you know, Georgia Tech, even though it's in Midtown Atlanta, once you're on campus, you don't even realize that, you know, 75 is right on the backside of, of her softball stadium and the basketball arena, you have TNT sports Uh, and TNT studios is directly right. across the street. And so within this, you know, there's four block radius, you have the world of Coca-Cola world headquarters right. yep. at the other end of campus. And then, so it, it's pretty amazing that with on three sides of the campus, you have 75, you have Turner, Turner broadcasting, and then you have the world of Coca-Cola and, downtown in Centennial Park um, on the three sides of campus, but you would never know you're in the city. Um, so it's, she fell in it's love with it. a great city. Atlanta's a great city, man. Great city, yes. Yeah.
1: And we, we, uh, gosh, this was a couple trips ago, a couple years ago. Um, I was in L.A., and I was on Venice Beach, and my phone rings, and it was you. And I'm like, what's up, Hollywood? And you're like, you in L.A.? And I'm like, yeah. And you're like, I am too. And you're like, let's meet up. And but we didn't, get, we couldn't meet up because the distance I was from you, wherever you were, and I was in Venice, and you were going to a country concert that
2: night. Do you remember that? Yes, I was going to see my boy,
1: uh, country music
2: star Toby Keith. Toby so, Keith. Uh, Toby you Keith have- is. You were like you want to go? I was like I don't even know who that is, bro. Yeah, right, right, right. remember was like you have the time of your life. Uh, Cuz I was down I was down at our family house in Manhattan Beach and you were up north of Venice and obviously we know LA traffic and I was like, "Hey, I'm going to a concert tonight. Why don't you come to Toby Keith's concert?" And uh and uh, I was so that kind of prevented us from linking up because you were you were up there at Venice Beach getting your your beach body workout on and, and I <laughs> I was over there on Manhattan Beach get getting, getting my drink body worked out. <laughs> yeah you were. You were lifting weights. And I was and I was lifting drinks. So
0: <laughs>
1: That's too funny. Yeah. But you know what? That um, is
0: that very accurate.
2: That's yeah, true, so true it was uh yeah, so Toby Keith, who I met uh shoot, almost twelve 13 years ago now, uh, I was at, just drove down one day to go to Walter Reed uh, out here in in Maryland, obviously, and just go down as a former player and, you know, try to go around and spread a little joy to the troops and go down and spend a day and just, you know, because there's so many of, of what, you know, our veterans do, you know, those who are active, those who you know, are no longer active and obviously those who paid the ultimate uh, price and made the ultimate sacrifice for, for our country. So it just went down there and then happened to, he was doing a concert and his buses were driving by. So obviously Toby's very involved with the military. His father was a military man and event, And so I'm there, had heard of him, you know, but had never met him. And this is a funny story. So we're we're sitting there, and I'm there visiting troops. And then so they come, and they're like, oh, this is Toby Keith. And I'm like, you know, nice to meet you. So the funny thing about it is, if you remember Ron White, the comedian from um, the Redneck Tour, um, they called me uh, Tater Salad Ron White. So he was there also doing a comedy show for Mm -hmm. the troops. Just off his heart, nothing planned or whatever, whatever. Anyway, we all, like, do whatever thing. We get ready to go to leave. And so um, Ron White is, like, you know, he's a big cigar smoker, as I am, and he, he loves McCallum Scotch. So he was, like, you know, in the cigar world, like, hey, here's a cigar. Nice to meet you. He was, like, if you ever want to come to one of my shows, you know, I'm talking with his people. Well, Toby comes out. And Toby, for those that don't know, is a huge, huge University of Oklahoma like, booster and, like, fan, like, super huge. And exactly. so he literally pops up the size of his bus, and, you know, he's on tour. You you know, you've been around those crazy buses, and literally the whole bottom of one of those doors lifts up, and it's a whole TV. So Toby pulls out his favorite, which is Jack Daniels, and literally here's Toby Keith and Ron White and Brad Jackson, and we're sitting there, and, start watching, you know, an Oklahoma football game on a a Saturday evening in the parking lot at Walter Reed. And then all of a sudden a whole bunch of other troops came out. And before you know it, you know, we're sitting around having cigars, drinking drinks and fellowshipping and hanging with, you know, uh, a bunch of our veterans, you know, who were recovering at Walter Reed. And then the friendship grew from there. They invited me to the concert and then, uh, you know, me and my personality, you know how I am. If, if if you're loyal to me, I'm loyal to you, and if you're good to me, I'm good to you. And those yep. both of the both of those men have been great, you know, and good friends throughout the years. And and it's just always funny because I'm a black dude that goes to country concerts, and and uh, <laughs> you know, and I'll be on stage with Toby, and you know, I, I've been at concerts in Greeley, Colorado at a rodeo, a true rodeo. And I've literally probably been the only black person in there. Uh, and literally Toby Keith has called me on, he pulled me on stage. And I, so we were in Greeley, Colorado. My daughter, this was in high school, travel ball. Her her team was playing in a big tournament in Boulder. So we drove the hour. Toby was like, bring all the girls. So I lo- I rented like a big van. I drew, drove all area and her teammates. Uh, and parents that want to go, and he was completely wonderful, accommodating. Here's high school kids that, you know, they've never been on stage or backstage, and, and Toby Keith is, is a megastar in the country world. And, you know, they're just eating and doing everything, and so he's got them stage side, and he gives them a shout-out, you know, her little intensity softball program. And these people in Greeley, Colorado have no clue what that is. So then uh, Toby, at one of his last songs of the night, he always brings out, you know, Old Glory, which is one of his guitars that has the Stars and Stripes on it. And uh, and so, you know, he always has someone bring it out, you know, as he sings the song. And so then they were like, well, you're here, bring it out. So he literally calls me on stage at Greeley, Colorado, bro, and has me sing Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. Here I am, been in Super Bowls, and I had never been more nervous than being on a stage uh, oh, at a concert of about fifteen thousand people, singing courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue with Toby Keith, and and uh, and I can't sing, so luckily he did all the singing, and then he was just like, you know, so he made me stay out there. He was like, you're not leaving me out of here, and then he was just like, you know, you know the song, so he was like, I'm gonna come to you on the part, and it's the one part, you know, and it's like we'll put a boot in your ass. It's the American way. And Uncle Sam dropped your name at the top of his list, and then the rest of the singers came on, and so it was a great thrill. And uh, but that's how my friendship with Toby started, and it still continues to this very day with him sending jokes and stuff, and and being close with uh, Crystal, his daughter, and he's got the grandbabies now, and um and Miss and Miss that's Toby cool. I I call her. So yeah, been another fortunate you know uh, thing that occurred just by doing good with going to hang with some troops down at Walter Reed and meet meet a couple guys that become really good friends. We don't call you Hollywood for nothing, man. Um,
1: (laughs) So, hey, let's jump into this. uh, We're going to jump into your career with the Bearcats. Uh, First, one thing I like to do with all former players that come on the podcast, I like to talk about their jersey number selection and how they kind of went about that process. Obviously, you had two different numbers, one with football, one with basketball, and, I kind of alluded to that earlier, that you wore double zero with basketball, but that was a result of one of our teammates. But let's first jump into number three. You wore that for football. Why number three?
2: Came to University of Cincinnati, Meech. I was a wide receiver. So the thing about it, you had to earn the right to wear a single digit. So when I signed my letter of intent, we all know coaches lie. So the thing about me coming to the <laughs> University of Cincinnati, I had, verbaled, I had verbally committed to, the, to Notre Dame. And then when I went on my visit, like, Coach Holtz was like, you know, you got, you can't wait to play basketball until your sophomore year. So I kind of knew that was a lie. Um, I had kind of already talked with Coach Huggins about potentially playing basketball. Obviously, we know how wonderful – um, and historic, you know, those two Final Four teams were, you know, before I came out of high school in 1993, and and with Eric Martin and Corey, and obviously Nick, and and, and the great teams that that those those two teams were um, that Coach Huggins had in Bearcat history. So it was still the opportunity. So when I went on my visit to Cincinnati, which was actually my last visit, um, because I had Michigan, Michigan State, Notre Dame, Iowa, and Cincy were, like, my main, my my five visits. And so when I went to Cincy, it wasn't that cold. uh, So they were kind of like, nah, it doesn't get, you know, too cold. And, you know, (laughs) I went on my visit in January. So I'm like, all right, you know, even though, you know, I spent, like, a couple years back in Akron, you know, I still was a warm-weather kid. And uh, so I was just like, all right, you know, it's not that bad. And um, I went on my visit to Michigan State, and I really love Michigan State because I I had a high school teammate um, that many people from your podcast may remember named Quentin Brooks, who went to Michigan State and was Big Ten Freshman of the Year for basketball.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So
2: my number in high school had been the same thing. I was three or nine. So I was three in basketball and nine in football. Okay. Um, and because we didn't have a number three in football, which was the funniest thing. Like you know, the pro- football program was what it was. Even though you know we we were a pretty rich high school at Firestone, we never had a number three jersey <laughs> for some reason. Wow. I have no idea why. So I ended up having to wear three times three was nine, and then in basketball I wore three. So it worked out great. Um, And then so when I went to come, you know, fast forward to me deciding come to Cincinnati. It took me to the boathouse. I fell in love. You know, that was my first meal on, on Friday night. You know, obviously the basketball team, you know, Coach Hugs was Hugs It was like, yeah, you can play. Coach Tim Murphy, who was the coach my, my freshman year, was like, yeah, you can play basketball. I don't care, um, you know, whatever, as long as it doesn't interfere with, with football. So here I was. And they were like, you can play wide receiver versus – Every other school was like, you're going to be a DB. Well, I, I had never hit anybody in my life. I had never tackled anybody in my life. Like, I was a guy that scored touchdowns at wide receiver. And, wasn't, you know, I wasn't the diva like these wide receivers, but I like to take my helmet off and showboat. i was Hollywood. I want to score touchdowns and, and the lights were on. I'm Hollywood. I don't <laughs> want to hit anybody. Defensive players, you know, we don't get any highlights, you know, on, on TV. It's always the offensive players. But when I came to Cincinnati, Coach Murph was awesome. Obviously, love Coach Hugs. Obviously, two Final Four teams, them saying you'd have the ability to to come out on the basketball team. And they said you get to wear your number. And so, ultimately, I get there, and that's kind of what it was. But they failed to tell me, or I failed to do my research, that the person that was wearing number three, when I my freshman year was actually a fifth-year senior, Dave Small, who's a top three, top five running back in Cincinnati history. So mm-hmm. I had to wait a year to wear number three. So ultimately, me being a wide receiver, I was able to wear number three. And then when Coach Minner, who actually got the job from Notre Dame, he was a defensive coordinator at Notre Dame uh, when they were recruiting me, and his whole fantasy was to have a 6'2", tall, skinny kid that can grow into be a great safety and hit people, which I had and wanted nothing to do with. Um, and then once I got to Cincinnati, like I said, the Boathouse, the Montgomery Inn, you know, the Graders Ice Cream, Coach Hugs, Coach Murph, you get to play wide uh-huh. receiver. You get your jersey number. And, oh, as you and I both know, the final kick of the straw was when I walked yep. into the basketball locker room and we're Team Jordan. Are you serious? Yep. You're going to tell it. 18-year-old kid <laughs> that's poor, he's going to have all the Jordan gear and swag and shoes that he can handle, and I'm going to be able to play basketball for a team. And, you know, even if I'm sitting on the bench for a team that just went to two Final Fours, it's a wrap. I never forget. I go to I go to Cincinnati. I come home. I tell my high school coach I'm wearing all this Cincinnati gear or whatever. I'm like, I'm going to be a Bearcat, and I never forget. Uh, I won't say which coach it was, but he was not very happy with me and kind of lifted me up off of my feet in the in the hallway of Anchor Firestone against the lockers that I was ruining my life uh, by going to the University of Cincinnati versus, you know, one of the Big Ten schools or obviously Notre Dame. So um, my mother was extremely angry. You know, fast forward, my mother didn't even come to a game at the University of Cincinnati until my junior year. So, Mm -hmm. wow, that's how angry she was, you know, even after a great sophomore year where I was third-team All-American in the sporting news and first-team All-Conference and, you know, finished, I think, second or third in Conference Defensive Player of the Year as a 185-pound linebacker. Um, Yeah, it wasn't until my junior year that my mother finally got over the fact that I came to Cincinnati um, and started coming to games.
3: (laughs)
1: Wow. That's crazy. So, so, okay, let's, let's jump into the double zero. The, and, and we'll get into the details of, um, you know, you playing basketball and how all that occurred, but you wearing double zero, that was a result
2: of Sean Myrick, correct? Sean Myrick, who wore number three uh, and had just got this since he would not, uh, that was his number. So I like yeah. went to him, and of course, this isn't college. This isn't the NFL. This isn't pros where if somebody's got your number. You can come in and maybe give them, you know, 5, 10, 20, $50,000, maybe buy them a Rolex. <laughs> those, things, those things happen in, in, in pro sports where someone has your number and you can kind of come in and be like, hey, that's my number. What's it going to cost me? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, that, and that's generally what it is. Um, and so – uh I mean, and that's how it happened. So it was either, well, wait a minute. I can't be three, uh, which was the only number. And, I, and I'm not superstitious, but, you know, as athletes, we like routines. Some people call it superstition. I call it routine. There's a certain way things have to be done that I sure. just feel comfortable with. And so Sean, um, and I, was, I think I should probably send him bills from my therapist because I'm still in counseling the fact that he wouldn't give me number three. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I ended up going with double zero because uh, I went to go with zero, and they wouldn't allow it. Um, and so I was like, uh, I guess NCAA or whatever the case was, I wasn't allowed to wear a single digit zero. So the only way they could let me do it was if I wore double zero. So Coach Hugs brought it up. And, you know, obviously, you know, Coach Mick Crow was there and obviously Coach Coach Harrison. And so I remember Coach Harrison was like, you're going to look like an idiot out there wearing double zero. And I was like, well, the, the thing is, is all I got to do is average more points than double zero, and it's a win. And I think I averaged one point. I think I averaged one point a game. So <laughs> so for me, it was a success that it put pressure on me to try to average, uh, you know, and I wasn't going to wear a double digit. I didn't wear a double digit in football. I wasn't going to wear a double digit in basketball. Uh, I always hated that. So so double zero became, it, it just was something that Coach Hugs kind of had brought up, and when I couldn't wear a zero as a single digit, uh, and he was like, well, why don't you wear double zero? And I just, I, it's just one of those things that stuck. I was like, heck, yeah, because there will probably never be another double zero in the history of the University of Cincinnati basketball, which would be fun. So that's kind of cool, too. But now, watch, well, you some, know what? Some kid that, listen, one of these kids you're you're coaching that are studs that's going to come along and it's going to be like some 6'5, six, 6'10 six, kid that's a stud that decides where double zero and turns out you're your basketball player <laughs> show off
1: <on> my <laughs> Well you know
2: what well you know what's so funny is
1: I, I always for, for whatever reason I always forget, even though we were teammates, Brad, I always forget that you wore a uh, double zero. I I always figure like he wore fifty because obviously you wore that uh with, with the Ravens. I'm like hey, he wore fifty, right? And it for some reason that just sticks in my mind. But the funny thing is I was interviewing Art Long, who played for the Bearcats. And Art Long wore double zero. And during our interview with Art Long, I said, Man, you, you might be the most famous guy to ever wear double zero. You might be the only guy that I can remember that wore double zero. And he goes, No, the mascot actually wore double zero. So he goes, Both uh, he did and the mascot. And then some fans listened to it on Twitter and or listened to it and then quickly on Twitter corrected me that Brad Jackson, in fact, were double zero. That was a while back. And I was like, oh, my was, God. Which, so, Jackson. yeah, I
2: forgot I did. So that was – so that means art would be number one. And I, I'm going to selfishly put myself above the mascot as the second greatest character. Don't <laughs> 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 double <word, laughs> <the word> zero.
3: <laughs>
1: I, I hope so. I hope you put yourself – but. I will say this. Art Long is not in the UC Athletic Hall of Fame. You are. So, um, just what you did, I think, athletically for the university, what you've done after you've played, uh, you, you deserve to be up there as far as, you know, one of the top guys to, to wear number three or double zero in UC Athletic. I appreciate period. it. You, yeah, you know, I think, well, this, hopefully
2: Art gets in there. I, I think Art should get in there. I, I know it's us redcoats and the black jack members uh, of the hall of fame. I don't, I don't think, uh, we don't, we don't really get a vote, which, which I would like for them to change. I, I think it's, yeah,
1: I think it's I agree with that.
2: something that, you know, those who are in, in the hall of fame should have the opportunity to vote. Um, you know, I, I think that's pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. But yeah, I, I think art deservingly. So, uh, as long as they can, you know, they can put him in, and they can blur out like his jersey, like just put in his head that way. No one knows that he's the only, <laughs> no one knows he's the only other Devils. He's the first double Zerino.
1: That's that's funny. That's good stuff. Now, hey, let's 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 jump back to the football piece real quick. You were recruited by Tim Murphy, and obviously, Tim Murphy, as you said, uh, nineteen ninety three. You know, after that, he ended up leaving and, and going to Harvard. Correct? Is that right? Yeah. Went to Harvard first stop. So. Um, and if I remember correctly, he did. And, I, and like I said, I literally have three things in my notes here. But um, eight and three record um, his last year. Jumped and went to Harvard. Uh, then in comes Rick Mentor. Um, and like you said, it was kind of talked about with Tim Murphy that you know you, you could play basketball under Rick. He wasn't too excited about that. So you've got a transition of of coaches there. How did how did that work with Coach Mentor and I know, I think the first year you guys went two and eight. Uh, next couple years, six and five, six and five. But h- how was that when Coach Mentor, Mentor uh, took over the program? I know you said he was like a real sergeant and, and very uh, military-like. But but how was that playing for him, and, and how did you adjust to
2: that? Extremely difficult, and and, and I will say this, like, and, and I have the utmost respect for Coach for for Coach Rick um, because the guys that made it to the National Football League and the guys that made it to be successes were the ones that we battled through the mental grind. We battled through the physical grind. I mean, there, we we broke NCAA 20-hour, you know, rule limits. We broke those. <laughs> and, I mean, there would be times when guys would go to compliance and compliance would come in, and I remember coaches like, if y'all don't sign this form, you know, I'm a, I'm a, y'all going to run until people are dead. And, uh and, and part of that was the toughness that needed to be built. So I, I don't right. want listeners to view it as, you know, I know this day and age, uh, you know, a, a lot of times it's generation or sports or, you know, people like, oh my gosh, that's so mean. It's so bad. No, you, you had a bunch of guys, you know, and, and let's call it what it was Cincinnati at that time was not a destination, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There were a lot of mm-hmm. guys that came to Cincinnati because they had got kicked out of other schools for doing things, you know, off the field or off, you know, that that got them in trouble with law enforcement. Uh, this Cincinnati was almost, and we used to joke about it, like last chance you. I mean, this was mm-hmm. like, and, you know, we had so many guys from Florida. We had so many guys from, all over, you had a ton of guys that transferred to Cincinnati because it was their last chance to play ball or to get a degree. So, I mean, unfortunately, I like in my first couple of years at University of Cincinnati and I had, knock on wood, thank God, never been in jail, but I've seen the shows on television. It was like a prison yard. I mean, you mm-hmm. literally at times had to fight, you know, for respect and fight for your right. And, and, you know, and, and that didn't mean like always physical, but on the football field and competing in the weight room, you were constantly being challenged. And Coach Minner had to bring discipline, and he came from Notre Dame,
3: so he was yeah. used to
2: having guys that were creme de la creme academics, that were you know top you know fifty or hundred in the country at every position, and you know guys that would sit there and wear a suit and tie and cat hook and school guys or private school. Like, they didn't have any animals at Notre Dame. That's why Notre Dame ain't won a championship. They ain't, you got to have a certain level of thuggery to be able yeah. to be successful um, <laughs> or control chaos, as we love to call it. And Coach yep. Minner did bring that in there. So it, it was extremely difficult. You know, when you come in, you're 8-3, you're supposed to be a wide receiver. And then I never forget, he called me after he got the job during Christmas break and was like, I finally got your butt. And he didn't say but uh, on the mm-hmm. phone. And when I got back and he was like, you're co- welcome to defense. Because I had just went to Notre Dame the year prior, and that's when I found out on my visit that, you know, I'm going to be moved to to, to defense in the secondary. And I was like, heck no, I'm not doing that. And he gets the job. <laughs> you know, I mean, how, how unfortunate and then fortunate it turned out for me at the time. Because unfortunately at the time I'm like, I'm going to defense, but fortunate that that's what allowed me to change, you know, several generations of my of my life and my family's life by becoming professional and getting drafted and, and being having the, the ability to make a lot of money playing a game. But he brought a lot of that structure that was needed in life. And so, you know, when he got the job, it, it was tough. Obviously, an 8-3 team, as you said, went to the 2-8-1 the next year. Uh, there were 25 scholarship guys, Meach, and 15 and 16 walk-ons. from the class of 93, my class. That's 40 to 41 guys. And I think only seven or eight made it to our senior day. So that tells you how tough he was. Walk-ons quit, obviously, or ran off. You had scholarship guys that got ran off. Um, And and I never forget on our senior day, and, again, this isn't, you know, a down mark on Coach Rick um, because I have the utmost admiration and respect for him because he helped. Shape me into being the disciplined man that I am, you know, along with other coaches, but hit and, and toughness that he just instilled because, you know, I would have a game, for example, we played Boston College on ESPN a Thursday night, which was basically the Monday night of college football. I have twenty three tackles. I'm I'm playing lifestyle and we go to Boston College and we beat Hasselback and you know ESPN and and we went on the road against a ranked team. And literally, and we're all celebrating, and I never forget Coach would be like, you know, he was the type of guy that would be like, yeah, we won, but you missed two tackles. You could have had 25 tackles. So at mm-hmm. the time, you could look at it mentally weak and be like, you know, what a jerk. Like I just balled out, we just won. Or you can look at it as good is never good enough. And I always strive, you know, always worked, always strive to do more and do better because that was his philosophy. That So it just became a mindset, which I transferred on to my kids, like enjoy the process, enjoy the moment. But at the same time, like, you know, with Ariella, if she went two for three in a game or three for three with, you know, you know, or whatever and hit a couple home runs, you know, she's, she's the state of Maryland all-time home run queen and all-time RBI leader in the state of Maryland for high school softball. And part of that yeah. was her sophomore, junior year, she, you know, she hit 20, 15, 20, all you can do more. You're still more to chase. And so when, you're, when you have that drive and it's a good drive to have, like you still want more. And um, that doesn't mean you're happy, but you're never complacent. And so Coach Miller yeah. had to bring that, and then he had to get rid of a lot of bad dudes, man. There was a lot of dudes yeah. um, that some I still talk to, that are very, uh, very resentful of a lot of things, and they still kind of blame Coach on our threads, you know, for certain things. And I look at it like, well, I became a success. You chose to do other things. So you you chose to do the things that he wasn't preaching, and maybe if you would have listened, then maybe you would have had the success that the Chris Hewitts, the Sam Garns, the Artrell Hawkins,
0: yeah. you yep. know, the
2: Robert Tate there was a core group of guys that bought into the system and we basically were the ones that when guys would complain and moan, oh man, why we got to run extra because, because we need to run extra because the other team is running. And if we run the same amount as them, because we ain't Notre Dame, you know, we got to do more than them to beat them. We can't do the same thing as them. So, So those were the things that Coach Schmitter brought. And it it was tough. I tried to transfer. Like, there was no question about it. You know, he was brutal in practices and in workouts and winter workouts. But it was all for a purpose. There was a message to the madness. So let me me ask
1: you this, though, Brad. Let me ask you this. Do, Do you feel like all that was part of that kind of that master plan to get to 1997 where you guys are eight and four and you make it to the humanitarian bowl, which prior to that, I think their cat football hadn't been to a bowl game in 50 years or something crazy like years. that. Was that, yeah. was it kind of, is that correct? Is that, was that
2: all a buildup? No question. So, so yeah. you have to start. And unfortunately in sports nowadays, whether it's professional or college, you know, you, you have to rebuild like you, when a coach comes in, he's got to bring his guys in. He's got to bring a philosophy. Well, you also have those whether it's professional or college, you also have those guys that say this is how the old coach used to do it. This is how we used to do it. And then you so right. you're there is a fight between that and you have to have success. So in our first year, we're 8 and 3. Coach Minor comes in, we're 2 8 and 1. I mean, think about it. We we are getting trashed. We are awful. Yep. His defensive system is terrible. The offense can't score special teams were giving up kicks. I mean, it it is awful. So, then now he's got to – now instead of, okay, he came from Notre Dame. There is that hope that he's going to make us into Notre Dame because they had just beat Charlie Ward in Florida State in that, you know, classic game up in Notre Dame, number one versus number two. And – You know what? It didn't happen. So now the naysayers, the negative guys, those cancers that are in the team in the locker room, they start to grow. They start to fester. Coach don't know what he's doing. Coach don't do this. So then the next year, you battle back. You go six and five. We should have went to a bowl, but we got left out of a bowl. I think they took maybe Memphis or Indiana. I can't remember. And we were extremely disappointed. We thought we would go to a bowl because Coach had told us if we win six, we'll get it. And we did it. Uh-huh. So then there was like, okay, well we got back to six and five, but then you know it was the whole thing. We coach told us we would get in, so you still had the negativity. So it was his job to rebuild, to basically strip down. And I and I use this example when I talk to people. He he basically had an old night, old classic car. He found it. It had to be stripped down. You had to repaint it, <laughs> refurbish it, change out some parts, mm-hmm. which means people. You had to change out some people, change out some coaches, change out some parts to get the thing back running. And the first couple of times when the cars put back together, you know, it putt, putt, putts. It may not even start or it may go for a mile or two and then it blows up again, which was kind of like 95. You know, we had a great year in 95. We beat uh, Virginia Tech. That was the game. I was Sports Illustrated Ple- Defensive Player of the Week um, mm. and, and when we went out to, to Blacksburg and beat them 16 to zip, and ultimately that prevented them from winning the national championship that year, and I, I know this because I, I, I became teammates in the pros with several Hokies that were on that team, and uh, but we had that big win, and then we beat Kansas, you know, and you know we had a chance to beat Kansas State until the last second you know, Hail Mary from Chad May to Kevin Lockett. So, you know, all that being said, it was those signs that we were playing against Power 5 programs and winning and then ultimately almost winning, but then we would have those letdowns. So, yes, it was all part of Coach's plan to make us mentally and physically tougher, transform guys that were used to being losers, you know, and – and get them to think like winners and act like winners. So it was all his master plan that ultimately came together in 1997, as you said, when it uh, we were able to, you know, almost put Cincinnati back on the map. Because then it became cool for some, for other kids that would be like, I'd rather go to Ohio U or I'd rather walk on at Ohio State or Indiana. Versus come play at Cincinnati, you know what I'm saying? That's because there a, was that. That's a great that. point. That's there a great were point. those guys. I, I know yeah, as as a, as, a, as a former Bearcat, when coach would call and be like, "Hey, you're in the pros. You know, can can you reach out and you know we got this recruit?" But there were guys that would be like, "Man, I'd rather walk on to Indiana or go walk on at Ohio State." And I'd be like, "So you'd rather go walk on than have a full ride and potentially play?" <laughs> And I would say this because I'm candid, you know, and I, you know, I'm in the league at the time, and I'm like, I'm in the NFL, like we're, we're one of the best defenses in the history of the game, here at Baltimore, and you're, you'd rather go walk on and sit for three years and maybe play on senior day, versus come be a part of something, and that's what drove me also, Meach. I mean, that's when people were like, why did you go to Cincinnati? You, you know, you had, you were recruiting at other scholarships offer, and I was like, because it was, i I've, I've never been one to to f- just fit in. I wanted to go someplace where I could be the difference maker. And so that's why my love for the University of Cincinnati, my love of being a Bearcat, my love of, like, we're doing this now because of our brotherhood. And
3: yeah, and yeah.
2: because those were the relationships that were built because we all wanted to be a part of something bigger and better and different versus go someplace else and, and do something. And, uh, and And so that's ultimately what it means to be a Bearcat and you try to convince guys of that and be like, come do something where you could leave your footprint and, and leave it and, and make a difference. And I think that 97 team that ultimately, you know, went out to the humanitarian bowl and, and did some great things, and we all know, you know, I was playing with you. How crazy it was when I was flying all over, back and forth, all over the country. Man, you um, would just pop up. You would just pop up. I'm like, where the hell did Brad just come
1: from? He just yeah, from, from
2: Boise, Idaho. Like, I, I met She's you guys in Cleveland, jet. straight off the yeah. jet. met you guys in Cleveland for the Rock and Roll Shootout Classic against UMass and and Buster Flint's team, and, and that you remember that team was pretty good uh, at the time, and. Uh, you know, they had what, Larry Kettner who went, he went to the league and they had big Tyrone weeks at the Ford. I never forget I'm six two. And Hugs is like, you gotta go bang it, because if you remember, which I know you do, that we had what, three, four guys suspended because yes, you know, yes, that's when yes. Drew and everybody was suspended and and we had uh, yeah. six guys. We had like five or six guys and we ultimately people are always asking, what's your greatest moment playing basketball. And I was like, one, my we I never got the chance to help Coach Huggs get out of the first round since Cincinnati. That's one. Because I had to go off to the draft. I had to prepare for the NFL. So I wasn't able to finish the season with you guys other than being on the bench. And then, I two, know. it was the Rock Roll Shootout Classic. I fly from Boise, Idaho. We almost crashed in Lake Erie. People don't know this I- story. I don't remember you saying how crazy the turbulence was. Oh, you it was about, yeah. I thought I, And I'm on a private jet. It's my first time being on a private jet. I thought I was going to die. Like, we're almost – I'm literally thinking we're landing on the water and crashing. Like, we were all over the place. Had no food. Remember, I ate two hot dogs in the locker room before the game. <laughs> and went out and then, you know, played a bunch of minutes because we only had, like, six, seven guys, and we were down. Uh and I Mike Cronin always talks about it. He he's had me talk about it with, with some of his teams of the past when we were down, you know, what, six or seven points in under a minute and he was like, I never forget you were like, I didn't fly all the way across this effing country to lose this game. And then we yep. ultimately put we end up scoring forced overtime and then ultimately we end up winning and that that to me that's my greatest thrill of, of of being on the court as as a Bearcat Hooper that we undermanned, undersized, you know, went out there, but, but a not good out, team,
1: and won. But we were not out tough, and I would not say we were not out tough. And without you and Brent Petrus, we don't, we definitely don't win that basketball game. You know, Brent played thirty four minutes that game. I don't know if you remember that he had like six points.
2: Yeah, I remember because uh, he was happy to be back home. He's from Illyria, so he had half, right. of Elyria, half of Elyria, the E-Town, as Pete would always call it, was was at that gate. <laughs> uh-huh. I never forget. And then I couldn't even celebrate with you guys because, remember, I jumped on a plane and I flew directly back to Cincinnati to jump on a plane to fly out with the cheerleaders and the band the very, yep. next, uh, the very next morning to go back to Boise, Idaho. Uh, and, and that was a turbulent time. A lot of people don't know this when you talk about Coach Mentor, I never forget that Coach Minor was like, if I played basketball, I was not going to start the last game of my collegiate career at the University of Cincinnati, and I was wow. so shook up, and and it was – I remember myself, Coach Menner, Bob Huggins, and the athletic director, Bob Goyne, at the time, sat in Mr. Goyne's office, mm-hmm. and it, like, literally – Coach, Coach Hugs had to go to bat for me. And I never forget, he was like, You're not going to start. And I didn't even know I was going to start until because I had missed practice because I was flying around playing basketball with you guys, you know, and whether it was at Cincinnati or at the Rock Roll Shootout. And so, you know, I had missed practice for football. Um, I had obviously missed practicing with you guys and was just showing up and playing. And mm-hmm. it was it was a magical time for me. I remember Sports Illustrated actually documented it, um, you know, the the whole travels because they were basically falling around, which was a pretty cool thing. And I never forget like going out into that game on December 31st and you know, warming up, and then uh, Rick was like, "You're not starting," and I was just like, you know, I did my usual thing, and then all of a sudden, uh, defensive coordinator. Um, uh, Kim Dameron, who took over for Rex Ryan, who had already left to take the job at Oklahoma, was like, hey, I'm only the interim defensive coordinator. What's you going to do? Fire me. And he was like, you're starting. And and I went out. And it was a funny thing, Meach, I wasn't even announced as a starter by the announcer pre at the stadium. <laughs> wow. So, which was which was pretty hilarious. And then yeah. luckily on, on TV, I guess, uh, the world famous Holly Rowe from ESPN, that was one of her first assignments, was the very first Humanitarian Bowl. And mm-hmm. so they had, I guess they had told her. And so, yeah. And then, if you remember, first quarter, uh, I missed you guys, and I knocked out one of the receivers on a crossover. Oh, I remember and I this. We around, were watching. And I, and I shouted jump shots. Jump you shot. Guys. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> and we, I, we, we were and watching, I, yeah. <laughs> And I got a 15-yard sportsman like penalty. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: and this is the first quarter. And Rick Miner blows his hat <laughs> off his head. He is mother-effing me and cussing me out <laughs> to all in. Coach Dameron was like, "You got to make a play for me." He was like, "You may not get back in and in in you may not get back out there." And I never forget. We went back out for the next defensive series. And Rick was screaming, it's like, I don't want that mother effer on the field. Ah, he's screaming. So they Tim was like, Just stay here. Stay here for first, second down. And then third down, I go out there and I get an interception on third down. True story, you can look it up.
0: Uh-huh. And
2: I, I get my first interception at a game. And you had two
1: interceptions it, that game, right? I had two interceptions,
2: Mike. Yeah, yeah. so right, it, yeah. it it was the first like after I had got like the, the the other sports were like for shooting a jump shot after I knocked out the wide receiver, and then uh, and then my last play of my collegiate career was an interception to, to end the game uh, mm-hmm. for us also. But yeah, it was uh, that that was I, I never forget Coach. I thought Coach Manor was going to have a coronary on the sideline. He was he was so red. I mean, his face you- was as red as the red. Red and black. <laughs> but you,
1: you you told us though, I remember you telling us, I don't know if you told our, our whole team or if it was just me and a couple folks that you were gonna shoot a I jump shot. Us. And that yeah. yeah, you say yeah, yeah, that and that was you. That was part of it. I think that's part of what makes you you is that uniqueness of of you know, tying everything together. You know what I'm saying? Like that jump shot right there kinda tied everything you were doing together, man. It shows your personality. Um, and one thing i one thing i want to ask you i want to ask you this question do you think if you if you look back at that nineteen ninety seven humanitarian bowl win versus utah state, I think not only was it a landmark uh victory for u c football and it helped propel it like you like you said with recruiting and all that stuff, but if you look at with the totality of everything you flying back and forth with football you guys winning that game, do you think that that's one of just that humanitarian bowl win and what you had to endure. Do you think that's one of your greatest sports achievements?
2: No question, without question. Wow. The excitement, and and like I said, I've been to two bowls. i won a bowl, uh, recovered a fumble in Super Bowl 35, you know, played on the greatest defense to ever walk the earth in the NFL. But there is no question that my personal most gratifying, my personal – most satisfactory athletic moment and achievement is to play football and basketball at the same time, live my dream. That was my dream. Uh-huh. That was my ultimate goal of the reason of coming to Cincinnati because Bob Huggins had told me I can do it. And then it was blocked for a couple of years. And uh-huh. then my senior year, and you got to remember, this is my senior year. My future professionally is on the line while I'm playing basketball. God forbid you turn an ankle Tear a knee. You know, any of the things that could have happened. And I had all those things said to me, like over and over and over and over again. Um, and it unfortunately, it was only until NFL scouts and teams were like, we don't know if he's serious about football because I'm still playing basketball. And I never forget, I cried in Coach Huggins' office. When I had, he was like, I can't let you play anymore. And I was like, no, no, no. This is what I wanted to do. (laughs) Like, the NFL Mm -hmm. is the NFL, but this is what I came to the University of Cincinnati to do was to play football, play basketball, and see whatever happened. And I, I, I took us to a bowl game. Like, I want to get you to a Final Four. I want to, like, I remember crying in his office with him, and he was like, I can't let you do it. And I mm-hmm. argued or fought with him, and you know, with with Coach Crow and Coach Harrison sitting in there, and and you know, he he was just like, I can't do it because I won't be able to live with myself if God forbid something happens to you, and you can't take care of your daughter, you can't take, you know what I'm saying? And I was just mm-hmm. like, he was like, that's what's most important. So here's a man, Coach Hug, that you know, again, I'm averaging one point a game, but. I'm still a body. I'm still a guy that was rebounding and playing defense and doing toughness. all the little things. Right. And, and having fun and loving my teammates. Like I loved being with you guys. And no and so here he is saying, put put what's important for me that could potentially benefit him on a back burner for my future. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what more can you say about a man? And, you know, like I said, it wasn't like Ken or Rue or Mel or, Anybody else that was, you know, other than going out there and playing, you know, nine, ten minutes of the game significantly on defense, that was it. But yep. he was the one that said, no, this is more important. So my ultimate achievement is not winning a Super Bowl. Personally, it's great. You know, um, not making uh, a career and making a lot of money and all that, that's great. But my, my joy and my happiness is I wanted to go. Cincinnati to do two sports. I was able to do mm-hmm. two sports. I wanted to turn the football program around. I remember I said that to my high school coach when he was jacking me up. It was like, I want to make a difference. I, I want to be someone that the name stands forever of doing something great and yep. did that. And then ultimately being able to, and like I said, I think about it every day and that's not just hyperbole or, like, there is not a day that I don't think about if I could have played. Maybe we beat West Virginia, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, it's in it's oh, instead of getting beat from a 75-foot
3: oh. half-court
2: shot. You know, like, that, that still haunts oh, me. Like, I never forget sitting there being upset. Wait, wait, and,
1: do you know where we would have played that next game? Uh, we won that game. Do you know what city we would have played in? No. I, I don't remember. If we would have beat West Virginia, we would have played in Anaheim.
2: That is right. I do remember that. I Because I remember my both my careers ended in Boise. My football career ended in Boise, Idaho, winning the bowl game. And my basketball career ended with sitting on the bench in Boise, uh, Idaho, when we lost to West Virginia. So that's <laughs> how that's prophetic – how poetic, how prophetic is that that, you know, you're at the same location for football and basketball and it all tied together that both both my dream of playing football and basketball both ended in the same city in Boise, Idaho, playing football. That for is the Bears. crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> that
1: that's crazy how that all kind of you know intertwined itself. Um real, real quick before before I forget this, I just thought about this. Um you mentioned Sam Garnes earlier. Um, do you remember? You and I and Sam met up in New York City at the Garden. <laughs> yeah. We went to we went to watch the Bearcats play in the Big East tournament. You remember that?
2: Of course, I went to Big East every year, and because Sam was my t- Sam, Sam would he would jump on my back and get the free ticket that uh, Coach would leave us. <laughs> even, <though, laughs> even though, Mr. Brox New York. Mr played for the New York Giants and New York Jets. Um, he could never get the seats that Coach uh Hugs and all and then Coach Crow would always give us. Um yeah. so and I do remember we met and uh had a great time because obviously Sam has the utmost admiration and respect for, for your father as well. Um because yeah, you know, you. we were we were all part of those knucklehead guys that Mr. Meeks you know, kind of, you know, got back in line off the off the field. You had Rick Miner in the football side of it, but you had, you know, your father. That basically, if we wouldn't have been eligible, that ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight run doesn't occur because half of us would have got kicked out of school or flunked out anyway. So a- again, those are the yep. intertwinings of what it takes to be a team and everyone. When you have people on the outside like your father and Bruce Ivory. Uh, that were intricate parts of you know we you know if guys hated Coach Menner, you know that you had your father be like, hey hey, just fight through. Like it ain't supposed to be tough. Like life is gonna be tough. Your yeah, boss yeah. ain't always gonna be your friend, and so you right. you learn those lessons that where you're like, all right, you know what? Maybe this ain't so bad. Maybe he is a little rough on us, but maybe there is a there's a method to the madness. So. Um yeah, and then Coach also I see you had Manly. it on the other side with Mick Marathi, who we now know is at Ohio State. Um, you know, in the weight room he was killers, you know that how how Mick was. And then Coach Hook and uh, on the basketball I court do. and then obviously Coach Menner on the football side. So it all comes yep. together.
1: You know, uh before I forget, uh when, when we were at that Big East tournament game, um we were down there by courtside, me, you and Sam, um, I don't know if you remember this, but we we took a picture together. I still have that picture. But we also talked to and took pictures with John Thompson, the late great John Thompson. The late great John Thompson.
2: I do remember that. Yes.
1: Yep. Yep. And uh, you, I, I remember, remember what that. I remember what you said about him because you always had jokes. But we all we were talking to him, and then when we walked away, you were like, "Dude, he reminds me of Bill Cosby." 'Cause he had that sweater on. He just <laughs> right, right, the... right. You <laughs> were like, man, that was like meeting Bill Cosby. I remember he was it, but, I... <laughs> but I I I thought about that when he passed away. I, I thought about um, you know, when we all sat there and, and talked with him. So I always remember that that moment. But you, you just brought up somebody I, I do want to jump into. That's why I love talking with you because I have no script and we're all over the place and I love it. Uh you mentioned Mickey Marathi. So I think you and I have um, a, a parallel story in that, you know, if you look at the transformation of your body from when you started at UC to when you left UC, I mean, it was a complete transformation, and you know, a, a lot of credit goes to Mickey Maradi.
2: All the credit goes, as we used to call it. By, I, I mean, it, body. It, it all goes to it. body by Maradi. That's what it was. Body by Maradi body by and, and but you look at what Mick has done, and I and, and again he's another guy that I still talk to, um and I still call him G because for those that don't know, uh Mick was about five foot five, and but he walked around like he was seven foot two, and Jesus. like I have never been afraid of a man in, in my life uh, as I was of Mick Maradi. And I remember when I was a knucklehead, it was your father that got me on track academically. And, you know, and I remember like, I was like, I didn't want to play anymore. And so like, you know, and I wasn't playing and I wanted to transfer and I couldn't transfer. And I just remember Mick would just be like, just get out of here, you know? And, and he would just, you know, he would call me a slap dick and, And uh, and he found ways to challenge me, as you know, from us being friends. And and like when you tell me I can't do something, like that's when I want to do it. So when Rick Minner moved me from wide receiver to safety, and that first spring, you know, our two eighty one year, I I just kept getting beat on purpose because I figured he realized I couldn't cover, and would move me back to offense. So. Mm what Rick Miner ultimately did, he called me in his office and was like, I'm going to run your ASS out of here and you can go home and do whatever you need to do, but I'm going to run you out of here. And literally I never forget sitting in his office and if something just clicked inside of me and I was just like, you're not going to run me out of here. If I, if I get kicked out of here, it's going to be because of my own doing. And I never mm-hmm. forget. I got out of his office and I was so angry and I was so pissed and I went down and, I went to Mick, and Mick was like, "Nah, you're an idiot. You're a slap. I, I don't, you know, you just, and I was like, let me work out with that first 6 a.m. group of all the good players of the Sam Garns and Chris Hewitts and, you know, the, those guys that were, and he was like, no. And I begged Mick for a couple weeks, and then finally he was like, you got one shot. And he was like, if you walk in here at 5.59, you're, you're kicked out of the morning group. And literally, Mick changed my body from being a 173-pound wide receiver. My first year, 1995, at linebacker, I was 185-pound linebacker and made third-team All-American and first-team All-Conference. And then I was 215, and then ultimately I was you know, 228 my senior year. And all of time, I got bigger, stronger, faster. So... If it wouldn't have been for Mick Mirati, and even when I got into the pros, like Sam and I would come back, and before we had to be at our team, he was with the Giants. Chris was with the Saints. You know, Bobby Tate was with Minnesota. Archer Hawkins was there with the Bengals. We all Mm -hmm. – Derek Ransom was with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Fabini was with – Jason Fabini was with the Jets. We all would come back to the University of Cincinnati, and work out together before we all had to go to our off season to our teams for our off season workout programs and mini camps and stuff. So Mick Marathi obviously is a, is is another guy that probably should be uh, in the Bearcats Hall of Fame because what he did oh, no for question so many guys and obviously his track record, he goes to Notre Dame, they become a tough team. He goes to Florida. All they do is win two national championships in football. Two national yep. championships in basketball, and he's head of, you know, player development and strength and conditioning at all those places. And then he goes to Ohio State, and we all know what Ohio that you know that school up north is, as I like to call them. Uh, we all know what they've <laughs> been able to do uh, by yep. bringing again that toughness that Mick brings from the ground floor of, of changing guys' bodies. I mean, you know, I never forget me, meeting. Uh, going to uh, going to that school up north and, and seeing and visiting Mick uh, when Aaron was getting recruited by that school and Michael Thomas, you know the the, the the very good wide receiver for the New Orleans Saints right now, and Mick was like, I need you to talk to this dude. And here we are, you know, in Buckeye Land, and you know we're we're sitting there and you know here's a, he was like he's he's a slappy. How you work? So I remember talking to this kid as a sophomore and was like, he was like, he's got so much potential, but you know, he, he was kind of like the dude from the movie life with Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence can't get right. That was like mm-hmm. his nickname. And now he's can't guard Mike on, on social mm-hmm. media, but then he was can't get right. So, right. um, which was funny, uh, in and of itself. So, um, so yeah. So, you know, when, when we a look, I think, I
1: think you. I mean, you are you are so right that people don't understand. You know, if you look at UC basketball when Hugs got there, Hugs obviously, you know, he transformed the culture there for basketball. But it was a it was a a, a combination of Hugs's mentality. And then Huggs talking with Mickey Moratti and saying, hey, listen, I want you to get my guys physically tough here in the weight room. We are going to out-tough. We're going to beat people up. If we don't have the McDonald's All-Americans year in and year out that UNC, Duke, and, you know, those schools have, we're going to beat them up. And speaking of beat them up, you tackled a guy in a game, which for some reason you are so well-known for that. If I bring up your name, they bring up the fact you tackled a guy in a game
2: for basketball. I always find that, <laughs> that, that that's funny. Let, let's talk about that moment real quick. Well, if you may recall, I forget who it was we were playing, but it was one of those games, and, and we had won several games in a row, and they were kind of getting a little chippy. And and, and I recall either that it was a hard foul. I think it was on Melvin when he went up uh, or it may have been on Reuben, but I remember it was an extremely, extremely hard foul. Uh, words were kind of exchanged, and and it's a great moment because I, I know Forget that I just got up and I, and I was so angry. I, I remember Ru and Mel were up in the air and they were going for a dunk or something happened, and it, it was a bad foul and they they were kind of like talking and I never forget. I remember who the guy was that did it, and then so ironically, Hugs just gave me a look and I knew I was like all right, this, <laughs> if I get the chance, you know. I, I mean, he had taught me and I and I wasn't just an idiot to make it as obvious as it turned out to be. But there just so happened that there was a ball that was being loose, and I never went for the ball, and I literally ran full (laughs) tilt. And obviously playing football, I wasn't afraid to hit the ground. I wasn't afraid to take charges. I wasn't afraid to set picks. And and so when the ball was going loose for the guy, and he kind of was like went to pull up, I ran full speed through him, if you remember knocked him over their bench with all the chairs exploded and and I never forget like the referee came and I think I may have gotten a technical for it, I'm not sure. But I remember that uh Hugs just smiled and turned his back and walked away and you know, I I remember Oh Hugs uh, loved it. Oh and I and I and I and I remember the arena erupted and that's yeah. all I remember was like, okay, like
3: this is you
2: know, I, I may have only been here with these guys for this year, but these are my brothers when I'm out here on this hard court, no different if they would have been, you know, on, on the turf down in Nipper Stadium. So, um, yeah, that a lot of people do recall that. When we went back for the for the grand opening of the new arena, there there were some people there that, you know, I probably had maybe a half a dozen people, if not more. It was like I remember when you tackled the guy right over there I was sitting and I literally there was a guy that was like, I was sitting in the third row and yep, him all the way to you know to the to the to the first little barrier, you know for the seats in the first row, and and I was like, I, hey, I, listen, he shouldn't have been trying to hurt one of my boys. That, that's all I know. And that's, that's all I knew.
1: That's, my, <laughs> that's that's one of the many reasons why we loved you, man. Um, oh, another nice. thing, another thing you did, which you know I'm involved in youth basketball right now and big on the AAU circuit. One of the things that a lot of kids do now is they either wear short shorts when they play basketball or <laughs> they tuck their shorts into their compression shorts, which if you go back to the video footage, Brad Jackson <laughs> tucked his game shorts into his compression shorts in the front. Remember that? Yeah. I, well, what
2: the is, part of, of the reason? Because I was only 6'2", and they gave me – I think they gave me 10 <laughs> basketball shorts. I never knew that. I,
3: mean, I was wondering why
1: – I thought you were showing off your size. Like, I didn't know what – Hey, it. listen. Was like,
2: as, as a handsome dude, I was never one not to give the ladies what they wanted on the <laughs> basketball court. But I would always be like, I think they did it on purpose – like they would give me like Ken shorts, so kid was six ten. So if I had my shorts, they'd be down past my knees. I would look like Little Roscoe from Martin Lawrence, the little snout nose character. So I would tuck them up inside my compression shorts. Oh man, because my that. shorts were my shorts were too long. I remember that man.
1: That was so funny.
2: Um, oh
1: man, that was that
2: was good stuff.
1: Um, you still follow. Uh, UC football and, and UC basketball today. Yes,
2: yes, I, I do. Um, I was very active, uh, as you know, under Coach Crow. Went to, I went to every game here. Ironically, the last couple of years, if you go back and look it up, um, before, you know, Coach Mick left to, to go to UCLA, the Bearcats played at Temple every year around my birthday. So that became around January 11th. So either the first couple of weeks of January – so that became a tradition uh, that I would go to Philly um, and see the Bearcats. I, I didn't miss any conference tournaments. Uh, like you said, we we would go to the Big East. I was I was so disappointed when the Bearcats left the Big East yeah. um, because that yep. was the that was the highlight of my year uh, of going to New York and hanging out there and just watching basketball all day. And then obviously we had some some outstanding games to be a part of, um, and then you know catching up with guys like Connor Barwin. Who came after me as the second football player to play basketball
0: um mm-hmm. so that was
2: always exciting to, to catch up with with c b um and so i i would i went to a lot of games I traveled with basketball not so much for football because I was busy doing you know my media stuff here um as well so that that was like my bearcat fix uh but I followed along social media um and 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 obviously been a part uh of a lot of things there. Um, I wish they would do a better job. There's this kind of this kind of void, and I've talked about this with people inside the athletic department. Of anything prior to the Brian Kelly years didn't exist, and I and I love to remind people that you know for the first time in 50 years, Bearcat fans got a chance to go to a bowl, and we won the mm-hmm. bowl,
3: mm-hmm. Um,
2: and that kind of spring you know sprung the program into them getting financial things to help improve facilities them getting better recruits. It made it cool and popular for kids in, in South, you know, West Ohio and in Ohio in general to stay home and and go to the Bearcats, which helped the program win games. So there's a lot of benefits of what happened from that, that 97, 98 team. And, um, you know, and, and I just wish that, you know, they would find more ways to, uh, to say thank you to, to a lot of guys. I've been fortunate to be in a hall of fame, um, but there are some other guys that probably deserve to be in the ring of honor that aren't there. Um, there's a bunch of guys in no disrespect to their careers that are in the ring of honor that maybe didn't make it to the next level and, and didn't have the careers at the next level. Um, so I, I wish that they the, the, the program would, would find ways of doing more with that. Um, I mean, you know
3: they're... what, hey, let, me, let me stop
1: here real quick because I, I think you make a great point in that you can look at a, a parallel with that. And I agree with you 100%. If you look at basketball with Coach Huggins, um, you look at the success in the run that Coach Huggins had here, you look at the success the the basketball program is having just in general in 2021, just as a program, a lot of that ties back to that first team that Coach Huggins had. They were kind of like that foundation, um, uh, uh, you know, to help get them to that next level, I, I liken the football team's success right now in 2021, recruiting, you know, uh, winless, you know, or uh, the season they had this year, the, the bowl game. That can You could tie that back to, you know, what you guys built leading up to 1997. No it's question. Like that was kind of the start of where we are today. Do you agree yes. with that?
2: No question. It's the cornerstone. And, and in every foundation yep. of every building – and in every program there's a cornerstone. And you can look back whether it was the North Carolinas and you look back and I know they were pretty good, but once they got Michael Jordan, that made North Carolina get to that next level. Um, you know, you for basketball, you can look at, you know, like you said, what basketball did that very first team with Herb Jones and those guys, you know, with with hugs that kind of built mm-hmm. it for them become the final four teams. And then it became you know the twenty some years of Bearcat. You know, as you, the national media, you know, you would I would play with guys. And they, the only thing they knew is Bearcat basketball played defense was tough, <laughs> was hard nosed. That's what yep. people that didn't even follow college basketball would know. Oh, you play that Bearcat, man, them jokers right there. They play some D. They punch you in the mouth, literally sure. in some cases. <laughs> And uh yep. <laughs> you know, and and it was physical. So yes, it, it all goes back to that cornerstone and those moments in program history, um, you know, that occur. So um I like I said, it's I, I think that they could do a better job um for that for football. I mean, you know, and I'm candid, I don't sugarcoat things. I mean I there wasn't a year that I recall under Bob Huggins or Mick Cronin, that I didn't receive a box of gear every year from basketball, mm-hmm. and I played mm-hmm. one year. I have, mm-hmm. I have yet to receive anything from football since I left the program, and well, since Coach Coach Minner has been gone, I, I haven't received anything. So I was even when I was in the pros there'd be times you sit there and you like, you wouldn't get a box and you know, everyone gets it from all their schools, send them stuff like you're in the pros. Here's a box of our new gear to wear around. And I never got that. So I would always wear our Bearcats gear one because it was fly. It was Jordan brand. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, and always because they would always send it like even when I was long gone. Um, So, um, so yes, you know, back to your main question. I'm still a Bearcat Uh, this past Peach Bowl uh me and Brad Junior, my son, uh we, we we flew down to Atlanta um to take in the peach bowl and, and was Oops. disappointed disappointed in, in the outcome obviously. Um but it it was good to see uh them play at a high level um and and give themselves an opportunity and they should won the game, uh no question about it. But so yeah, yeah so I, I still go but it's disappointing, honestly, when I see my daughter's at Georgia Tech. I see how Georgia Tech treats their older football players. You know what I'm saying? The love the guy. Yeah. And and Georgia Tech obviously is not at the level of the program of a Clemson yet. I think they'll eventually get back to that level. Um, but, you know, playing with guys and, you know, play with guys that went to the U, and I know the U is different in Miami, Florida. But it doesn't matter. I mean, there, there's guys that I know that play at Virginia Tech or the University of Virginia, and you know, they, they are intricate parts of you know, them continuing to remind the young guys and the new guys or recruits that this is these are the guys that were pillars of the program, you know, yep. so to speak. And you know, Brad, once uh,
1: so when I was building um my AU basketball program, I, I reached out to a coach who has built an amazing, amazing basketball program. Okay. Um had nothing to do with AU. Was a high school coach had an amazing basketball program year in and year out. You know, fighting for state champions, uh, kids going on and and playing college basketball, playing in the pros. So I had a chance to sit down and talk with him, and I and I asked him a couple questions. And one of the questions I asked him was, "What when you when you built your program, kind of what was your what was going through your mind as far as the philosophy? You know, what was the groundwork?" And he said, "Alumni," and I was like. What do you mean? He goes, He goes. first and foremost, he goes, when I first got the job, I went back and I looked at our alumni, and I asked all of them to come back. And he goes, and then every year that I was the coach, I would make sure we tapped into our alumni of how are we doing, anything you see, come back and work basketball camps. And he goes, we are as important as our alumni, and if we focus in on that, he says, I I keep in contact with kids that have graduated that are doctors, you know, professional players, uh, you know, fathers, husbands, and all that stuff. And he goes, that's the important thing.
2: So I I think,
1: you know what I'm saying? And I think what happens a lot of times in in collegiate sports, these guys are getting, coaches are getting salaries that are obviously in the million-dollar range, and they're focused on the right then and and right there and and the recruiting for the next year. And they kind of forget to look back and say, oh, I'm here because a lot of these guys laid the groundwork. Yeah, and and, and,
2: and the tough part of that is when you look at a place like Cincinnati, it's been so – Cincinnati, unfortunately, for football, has been a stepping stone. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It, it no always is. And, I, and I've and i said this before. I've talked about this with Wink Martindale. I've talked about this with Chris Hewitt, both obviously coach for the Ravens here. Um, Sam was coaching in the NFL with the Broncos and the Panthers for a while. Um, he's been out a couple of years and, you know, everyone always jokes that that would be their dream job, you know what I'm saying? For, for bear And I've always said, mm-hmm. if you want someone that is not looking to, to go to the next big job, you better hire a bear cat. And that's just the reality of it. Because yeah. everybody here, like Wheat Martin from Dayton, Ohio, he went to small Divine's college. So, you know, yeah, he's been in NFL but he, he's had the success of the NFL. He's won a championship as, as you know, uh here as, as a position coach in Baltimore and the defensive coordinator, you know, and, and he has all that and he's been interviewed for head coaching jobs in NFL. But the problem is is when you have a Rick Manner who's been there for a decade and he leaves. And then the next yep. year you have a Brian Kelly that comes in. And then yep. he has his success and then Dan Tony comes in and he was looking to get back into the Big Ten. And then Coach Butch, you know, he's looking for the next big job. Like, yep. because they understand and their agents understand, and, and I'm going to take you the inner workings of the football world, the, the underground, when you get hired at this job, the agent is saying, if you do anything here, now we will spread it and says, look what he was able to do with limited resources, limited facilities at a program like Cincinnati imagine what he can do for you, a.k.a. Butch Jones at University of Tennessee. Oh, my gosh, we got to have him. He's the highest yep. coach ever. So then yep. he's gone after two, three years. And then you get a Coach Fickle. And Coach Fickle, I, I, I've known him since high school or known of him since high school. Obviously, he, he's he's a year older. But we were all part of the North-South, uh, you know, him, Mike Brabel down in Tennessee. Brabel and I were high school buddies. We traveled together. He went to Walsh Jesuit. I went to Firestone. He tried to get me to Walsh. I wouldn't go to all-boys school at the time. So so I've known them. They went to Ohio State. When Ohio State was recruiting me into John Cooper, I was like, I'll never play for John Cooper. I never go to Ohio State. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, Vrabel and I went to Notre Dame uh, on a visit together. So um, we went to Michigan together where his parents drove us. You know, because Uh we we didn't have a car. So, but it doesn't matter how much money because if you remember from the D'Antonio era, the Bearcats matched the money he got to go to Michigan State, but he still left. You know what I'm saying? It didn't matter Brian Kelly, and I don't have a problem with Brian Kelly leaving. And I, I remember when Bearcat fans were upset and the players were all upset, like, listen, Notre Dame is one of the top five jobs that you got to take. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If you get offered Notre Dame, USC, you know, not now, but even Miami or Florida, because of the facilities, the environment, the recruits you're going to be able to get, there are certain jobs, Alabama, Texas, you better take the job if you get offered. You mm-hmm. know, I'm said that doesn't mean you're going to have success, but you have to take it. And yeah. so, unfortunately, when you keep having those coaches out of his name, and Coach Fickle's done a great job, but if anybody believes, and I hope that I'm right, As a Bearcat fan, as a football alumni, as a Hall of Famer, I hope that I'm wrong. But if anybody doesn't believe that if the right opportunity came along for Coach Fickle at a a big Power 5 program that makes sense, that he's not going to be interested in at least looking and discussing and possibly taking a job like, you know, God forbid, in Tennessee, which I know is open or may not be open, I don't remember even right now because they go through more coaches, you know, <laughs> than, than a brothel. Right, if, right. If you get, it, you know, like you're saying, okay, they're going to pay him $5, 6000000 million to go to SEC and rebuild that program, because that happens. They say, look what he's done at University of Cincinnati and say, you know what, he got to a Peach Bowl. He was a field goal away from beating – a perennial top 10 program in Georgia with a bunch of little kids at the university of Cincinnati, you know, like he's a heck of a coach. And I believe he's a good coach. Mm -hmm. So that makes him more attractive. So then once you keep getting further and further away, as you said, here's a guy making a couple mil and I'm all for it. Get your money. You earned it. But right now his focus is all, what can I do to win that next game next year in order to potentially be out the door. So there's yep. not going to be that that necessity or that need to reach back and say, hey, 97 guys, hey, the Brad Jacksons, the Sam Garns, the Archer o. Hawkins, the Chris Hewitts. Like, there's not going to be, and the guys even after that, like, there's not going to be that need to. So that's where those people in the athletic department that have been at the University of Cincinnati for the last 25, 30 years, that's their job to say, hey, Coach, these are the guys you got to reach out to. These are the guys that were important to the success and the rebuild of this program. These are the guys you can thank for that. And you can still do your thing, but make sure that you don't forget that these are the reasons that you're here or these things have occurred. And unfortunately and the, that's not and it. the and the fans
1: love seeing the former players love it they, they, they i mean you look at basketball if former players come back to basketball games, fans go crazy they right. absolutely love it, even guys that were one and done, you know that they, they they still love those guys they
2: wore the red and black
1: so and, um, and I, here's I
2: here's a story that that hurt that still bothers me. And it hurts your heart. And I don't care because we're Candace, your podcast. If they don't like it. They got my number. They can call me. So when the Bearcats played UCLA that same time we were talking about it a short while ago in California, I was there. Yeah. I reached out to the program. I'm a, I'm a California kid, you know. I, I'm here. I want to come to the game. I was told buy a ticket, sit in the stands. <laughs> That's what I was told because yeah. they said that there were – only so many sideline passes and these sideline passes were given to friends of the head coach that had nothing to do with the program they were just mm-hmm. friends that didn't play they weren't former players they
1: mm-hmm. had
2: nothing to do with it that's what i was told and i said so but mind you if i call back and say i want to go to a basketball game well that's not even it's not even a question it's right. not even an issue. So, for me personally, Brad Jackson, Hall of Famer, laid it online, three-time all-conference in football, you know, team MVP, not defensive, the team's most valuable player of my senior year. And I can't even get tickets to go to a regular season game, you know, <laughs> like – and, and right. I and, and I'll pay for it. It's not that I want them free. I'll pay for them, but I want to be because I'll be on the sidelines, as you said, Coach Hugs, Coach Mick. They had his courtside at the Garden. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there's no statues going up outside of of the arena of me shooting a basketball. But if we were. It's still the love <laughs> and respect that they send me a box of some T-shirts and hats for me to rock around. Then I'm gonna do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm going to make sure that they got something. Yeah. If they're in Philly, hey, Coach, I'm going to pick up the tab for team dinner. I'm going to do that for y'all. That's on me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because you've also shown the love. So when Coach Mick is like, hey, we're reopening the arena, I want to invite you back. Like, I, As God is my witness, I teared up. I cried. I told my wife I cried because mm-hmm. I'm like, I didn't do nothing on the basketball court but get a couple technicals, Tackle somebody, <laughs> and, 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 and I did. That's it. That's that's my basketball legacy. Yeah. A technical versus Xavier, which I'm proud of. In a cross time shootout, got a technical <laughs> in that one. Told somebody to sl- slap the you know what out of him. You were there. You remember. <laughs> and tackle somebody, and right. that that's that's it. And then win is a big game in a rock and roll shootout in Cleveland, Ohio, in the middle of me. That's that's my basketball legacy, but to be called and said, I want you to come back. You're a part of this program. All one point that you averaged and one rebound that you averaged in 10 minutes of playing, that is what, as you said, builds the program. I mean, I I talk to our basketball teammates like you, like, like Ken, you know, Rue. I talk to those guys, and I got one year with you guys. Year, not even mm-hmm. a full year. It wasn't a full year because I had to leave to go prepare for the draft.
1: You yeah, had 11 so, games with us. Eleven Yeah, games. that's
2: it. That's it. And then I had to prepare because the agents and everyone else were like, he's not serious NFL. And i like, you got to go do this. You got to go work out and stay healthy and not not tear your knee up. Uh, but that, that's the same case, you know, a couple floors down in, in the football office, unfortunately. And I've had this conversation with people there, because I'm candid, and then, and you know, people are like, "Well, why don't you come back?" And I'm like, you know, like it, it's because there there's no love. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's like you don't exist, and it's not just me; it's other guys. Like I, I have guys that live in Cincinnati that they're like, you know, they they gotta they buy tickets to go to a game, and you know, they may have been all conference, couple of linemen. I, I won't say their names or put them on the spot. And they still live in Cincinnati. And they'll go to a game and they'll sit in the stands. They're, you can't even bring a guy that put it down on that same field and give him a sideline pass. Mm-hmm. Like, stand over here at the end and then, hey, guys, this is such and such. Back in this time, he did his thing. He was all conference as a lineman, offensive and yeah. defensive. And you know what? We Let's, let's give him three claps because he's part of our bear cats, our bear cap-hood. You can't For do sure. that. I got a problem with that. For sure. And hopefully
1: those things change and hopefully they listen to a, a Hall of Famer. <laughs>
2: yeah, well they have they haven't in, they haven't so far. I keep I keep hearing I keep hearing from people in the media uh you know, I keep hearing from people in the athletic department. I keep hearing from people in the football department that've been around. Uh we've talked about it. We'll work on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can I can work on getting skinny to go out there and play football again. That don't mean it's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well real quick, I, I wanna do uh one thing I like to do with every guest that comes on the podcast. I like to do quick questions and quick answers.
2: Okay. Let's you do ready it. for this? Let's do okay. it.
1: All right, quick questions, quick answers for Brad Jackson. Number one. You are playing in the biggest game of your life, Super Bowl, whatever. What pump-up song are you listening to? Ooh. uh,
2: I got a really big team, and we like really big rings.
1: I need a ring. A little drizzy, huh? Gotcha. Yeah,
2: I need some rings. I love rings.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. A little drag. Okay.
2: Uh, What is one
1: skill that you have that would surprise Bearcat fans? I can cook. What's your what's your what's your dish? What's your best? Oh, what you want,
2: baby? I, I can get on that smoker. I can get on that grill. I I I got it all. I can go <laughs> Chilean sea bass. I I can take it down south and get some soul food. I I can do breakfast. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, I can I, I can do it all. I I can do it all. Actually, my daughter Ariella was texting me last night for uh, for a recipe. Uh, she's she's gonna cook tomorrow. So um, and then when I head down to Atlanta when the season starts. She was like, can you cook in my house? So I'm like, I usually come to Atlanta to eat out and watch you play ball, girl. I don't come down there to cook. But she was like, Dad, can you cook? And so uh, when she was home, when, when when all the kids were home during, you know, the holiday season with, with COVID, I, I was cooking five, six days a week. Where I, w- I was happy that they all went back to school. I was happy Junior went back to Palo Alto. I was happy she went back to Atlanta because I, I was tired. I was like, whew. They worked me so much, I thought I had need to open up a restaurant. <laughs> there you go. Well,
1: next time I see you, you're going to cook for me. So, hey, uh, I
2: love to put it down for you, brother. You know that.
1: All right, sounds good. Question number three. Brad Jackson, if you could go back and do it all over again, would you rather be a star in the NFL or a star in the NBA?
2: Oh, no question, star in the NBA. Love no it. No question.
1: Love it, love it. Good deal. Question number four, and my final question, and it's I all I, This is the one question that I always ask every former player. Uh, your case is a little bit different because you can use football and basketball. If you had to go to battle, and you could only take one teammate with you, one of your Bearcat teammates, whether it's football or basketball, and you had to go to battle, what one teammate?
2: Are you taking? Oh, that that's easy. easy. I'm taking Kenya Martin. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. I'm taking love kid. It. I I know who I got. I know who I got in the box hole, and I can put some shoulder pads on him and make him a, a long defensive end like Julius Peppers. Uh, or I or you know we put him up at tight end and you know throw him some some easy lies, but. If I had to go in battle, I, I'm, I'm definitely taking Kenya Martin with me, no question about it. No disrespect to my football guys. I love Sam, love Chris, Joe Curry, the greatest Bearcat linebacker of all time, all-time back player, my teammate uh, from, from old Detroit, Michigan. And uh, But, you know, I got to take Ken, just in case the basketball game jumps off after the battle, I got to be able to win that too.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love it, and Kenya's going to love to hear that too. So. Um, Last thing, real quick, before we uh, we kind of wrap things up. Um, obviously, this Sunday is uh, Super Bowl Sunday, um, and um, you know we we've got a long line of of Bearcat players that have played in the NFL, uh, been in the Super Bowl, like yourself. Um, a lot of people in Cincinnati have been, you know, talking about Travis Kelsey, um, and, and he gets a lot of media attention. Uh, right now and a lot of people are saying that that Travis Kelsey is is probably is to be considered the greatest UC football player of all time with all of his accomplishments what are your thoughts about that
2: uh Kelsey will probably go into if he continues on his trajectory as the hall of fame tied in in the national football league but as far as the greatest UC see, football player of all time. That's that's not possible. The numbers don't speak for themselves, and that goes back to what you were saying earlier. A lot of times in this microwave, I, I don't even call it the microwave generation. My kids are the microwave generation. This is the Amazon generation, which means everything is I order it today and I want it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, no disrespect to the Kelsey's collegiate career, but. You know, he just didn't put up the numbers collegiately. He was, you know, he went from D line and they moved him to the tight end because he couldn't play. He wasn't going to play on the defensive line. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the fact. So that's not disrespectful. It turned out to be a blessing, much like it was a blessing they moved me from wide receiver to DB to linebacker. You know, yep. like, you know, it, it was fortunate that it occurred, and it's fortunate for him. And he's worked his tail off to the highest level to be probably maybe the best and my favorite tight end in the national football league and I'm proud that he's a bear cat and I say it every time, you know, he makes a catch and you know when I'm with my boys, I yell out Bearcat. So yep. <laughs> um but as far as the greatest in Cincinnati football history, I, I say no. Who'd but you? he he will probably be the first Bearcat to go into the pro football hall of fame, if I'm not mistaken. I, I do believe he will be in that Hall of Fame um, because he's well on his way of being one of the greatest tight ends uh, to play the game of football. Yep, gotcha, love it. So
1: the last thing, um, obviously, you know, you you played in the in the Super Bowl as a Super Bowl champion. Uh, I believe wasn't wasn't that the year you guys won it? Wasn't Ray Lewis? He was the MVP, correct? Because you guys uh, beat the G- Giants, right? So
2: Trent Trent Dilfer was the MVP. Uh so Ray Lewis was MVP. So that okay. there was a funny story because of the situation that happened with Ray with the incident that had occurred the year before with uh, the unfortunate uh, situation in, in Atlanta during that Super Bowl. So mm-hmm. Ray was MVP, but Trent Dilfer was the one that got to go to Disney because Disney did not want to have Ray Lewis. Uh, oh, wow being the MVP. So that was the first time, in, in, and I only didn't time know that. in NFL history that the actual MVP did not get to do I'm um, going to Disney and did not go to Disney because Disney, because of Ray's previous trial and being acquitted of double, uh, the double homicide, uh, like, was, I guess, not up to Disney standards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so he didn't Man. know. So, yeah, so that's. It was kind of a split MVP, but for the game, I believe Lou was the MVP uh, for the media. Uh, but gotcha. on the gotcha. other side of it, Trent I was. Thought he was. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and quickly, we, we've got a couple
1: minutes here. Um, give Bearcat fans from from that Super Bowl experience. And, and when I when I tell Bearcat fans, if I want to see any player enjoy. Super Bowl media week that the whole <laughs> it, it is, it is Brad Jackson. Like that that whole Super Bowl week is is built for you. Um any cool story, a uh, quick story from the Super Bowl that's memorable that you want to tell?
2: Uh there wasn't really much cuz we 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 did everything as usual. I uh, I probably said one thing that was pretty funny. Uh it, I don't know if I've sent you the picture. So there was a story midweek about they had – they were hyping up Jason Seahorn. Remember, Jason Seahorn was the Mm -hmm. only white cornerback in the NFL, uh, which is funny because my teammate Brandon Stokely jokes about, who is obviously a white little wide receiver from Louisiana, that he ended all white cornerbacks ever playing in the NFL when he murdered (laughs) Seahorn in the Super Bowl. So we were – it's funny we joke about that with Stokely. But they had wrote this whole article about Jason Seahorn was this successful. He grew up with money. He went to USC. He was a first-round pick. He married Angie Harmon. Like, what do you – so I literally – and it it became a a picture uh, in in the AP. uh, I literally ripped out Jason Seahorn's picture because there was a whole big eight-by-ten in the middle of the the front page of the paper – and I and I put my face through it with these fake teeth. And one of my teammates, Cornell Brown, who played at Virginia Tech, we were sitting there, and this was Thursday before the Super Bowl. And I was like, "The hell with Seahorn! I'm a, I'm the success story. I'm the one that grew up single parent, homeless a couple times, poor, eating at shelters. I did that. I'm the success story to go to the University of Cincinnati to be here at the Super Bowl. So uh-huh. I put my face through it, and uh, which is comical and so ultimately, the media, being the media that they were even then, they turned it that the Ravens weren't focused and we were having too much fun. And I remember I was actually nervous, even though that's who we were. And I never forget the next day, Friday, Coach Billick comes in, he puts it up on the big, the big, uh, the big screen in front of the whole team meeting, and he was like, puts it up there, and he's like, "Well, guys, what do you think?" And then he puts all the clippings: Ravens not focused, Ravens are going to get blown out. Ravens having too much fun. Linebacker Brad Jackson has fake teeth, and you know, he rips out. Literally, literally, he put, Billick was a master of doing all this stuff, so he puts it all up on his PowerPoint in front of the team, and he said, guess what, guys? They don't know what they don't know. We're going to whip their ass on Sunday, and literally, (laughs) it was like a gorilla jumped off my back, because you don't know. It's our first Super Bowl. Like, our guy's going to be like, oh, my god!" So, yeah, so you know, I had to become a success story and uh that I ripped out when I ripped Jason Seahorn out of the uh out of the newspaper and, and so it was thankful, typical of, of the teammates and Coach Brian Billick and the way we were on defense that it was mean what you say, say what you mean and go out there and play. So mm-hmm. again, you know, going back to Hollywood when the lights were on, I, I had the ability to, to talk to the media, I had the ability to to be personable and, uh, obviously, when it came time to being serious and playing football, um, it became the same. I had the ability to do that. So um, so that that's a, that's probably the cool, fun story um, other than, you know, playing against Sam Garns, who obviously was a member of the Giants. Yeah. Um, and that that was a big deal for me because, you know, close to the brotherhood. But, you know, it would be great for your listeners. No, still to this day, here we are 2021, uh, Sam and I, I never talked about the game. I have never worn my Super Bowl ring uh, around him. And we have never spoken of the game that two Bearcats played against each other uh, going back to the, uh, January 28, 2001. Isn't that crazy? We've never that, spoken about it.
1: That 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 is crazy. And even crazier, I think UC needs to celebrate that we have, you know, two Bearcats playing against each other in the Super Bowl. Like yeah, 20 years you, ago <laughs> bringing you yeah bringing you guys back face to face hey here's you know i i think that stuff we got to archive that stuff and get that out um you know to the to the bearcat fans a lot more so but this is great man you're you're always a uh, a great interview because obviously you're in the world of broadcasting and you know you can articulate stories very very well like i said i had I had a small script here of three things <laughs> written down <laughs> and we we managed to we managed to make it through uh through everything so good deal as al- as always man um you know i want to thank you for coming on obviously you're a hall of famer you know in the u c athletics uh hall of famer off the field for all the things that you've done and continue to do not only business wise community wise but probably most importantly your job of being a father. So congratulations, absolutely. yeah, on on all that success. Uh, much continued success and love, and um, hopefully we can uh, we can meet up again here soon, man. Yeah, crazy absolutely.
2: Hey, man, thanks for having me. It's it's is an honor for you to have me. Thank you for thinking of me to have me on. It's great to reminisce and catch up, and and obviously you sure. know how much I love you. You know how much I love your father. I appreciate uh, that, man. So I I think I I think I was in the beach boys. Um, you know, I was always, like, I always tell you, <laughs> I, I, was, I was the most handsome of all of us. <laughs> uh, fake fake news. Fake, fake, fake news. news. <laughs> fake news. No, alternative, alternative facts. Uh, alternative facts. All right, Brett, thank you. God bless everybody. Stay safe and uh, go Bearcats, as always. Yeah, man, much love, man, Brett. We'll catch
1: up, man. I appreciate it. No problem, brother. Be safe.
0: I want to thank everyone for listening to season two of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Once again, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, BigMeach41. And I'm now dancing on TikTok at AlexMeacham41. I appreciate everyone listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats!